0: morning, good morning, welcome. Uh, good morning to those of you who have been coming for a while, those of you who are brand new. It's nice to see you. You are welcome here. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Lauren, and I'm one of the members. This morning's scripture is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Lauren. All right. Good morning, tra- oh, good morning Haven family. Yeah. Thank yeah. Uh, uh, All right, so I am not preaching today, which is uh, we have the honor and the privilege to hear from a dear friend and brother in Christ of mine and yours, Joe Workman, before he comes on stage. Yeah! Yeah! So, if obviously, if you've been at the transit for a while, you know Joe and Abby uh, Workman. They have, uh, well, the transit, I'm going to say transit because they were here at the transit and then we renamed it a couple weeks ago. All right. So, if I say transit, our church was named the transit since 2013. And if you're new here, we renamed the church the Haven uh, on January 7th in the new year. Okay. So, um, they were serving at a church formerly known as the Transit. How about that? Okay. So, uh, so since 2013, Abby and Joe faithfully served and edified and strengthened this body uh, through uh, worship and praise. Uh, Abby Workman was our worship director for like close to 10 years. Um, Leading us in exaltation of Jesus, Joe was an elder, uh, community group leader, and they both were just, their family is awesome and an integral part of our church community for uh, almost close to a decade. And so um, we are ministry partners with them now. The Lord called them in, in 2022 to go to Richmond, Virginia to start serving with MAPS Global. And I'm holding this. You might be saying, what is this, Nick? Uh, our outreach team leader, Jester Frew, uh, just crafted these and uh, got them printed for us. And and this is our missional newsletter. We uh, update it every, uh, twice a year. And these are in on the resource table and will be on the 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 multipurpose room where Joan Abby Workman will be and this is a list of uh uh, all the uh, missionaries and pastors and ministries that we support as a church. So I encourage you to pick up a copy of this. Uh, you put faces that you can pray for, names and faces that you can pray for, and, and so on and so forth. And so in the description, I'm going to read one. I want to announce our newsletter uh, to get that uh, uh, to you guys, and also read the description of what Joe and Abby are doing with MAPS. And so um, the Workman family, Joseph, Abby, uh, Izzy, uh, Little Joe, and Sebastian were one of the founding families of the Hay even, formerly known as The Transit. Abby served as a worship director for 10 years, Joe as a CG leader and elder. In 2022, God called them to Richmond, Virginia to join Maps Global, which is a missions organization that focuses on training and sending missionaries to regions of the Middle East that have no gospel witnesses. Joseph serves as the community director and Abigail leads the Global Music Academy. In 2023, 2023 they started 10 small groups, pioneered a music academy with 36 students, hosted over 60 gatherings in their home to equip and build uh, a family among missionaries and local community. And if you know the workmens, you're like, 60 gatherings? You're like, absolutely. That, was the, that makes sense. Uh, Fundraised fundraise for MAPS Global to support work overseas in three unreached locations and spent over 600 hours praying for the local and global work that MAPS is doing in the regions they work in. Uh, please join them in prayer as they seek to continue all they are doing uh, and travel to the Middle East for their first short-term trip as a family in 2024. So I uh, have asked Joe to come and preach about the heart of Jesus for the nations, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, Maps Global and the work uh, that they are doing and also uh, uh, just just uh, preaching from the Word of God, the Great Commission, and Christ's heart for uh, the nations. And so uh, commercial break, I forgot to announce this. Uh, after the service from 12 to 2 at my house, it's an open invite to hang Hangout. The workmen's will be there. I have a ton of Papa John's ordered, a ton of fancy seltzers, LaCroix, if that's how you pronounce it correctly. And so it's open invite. If you know the workmen's, be there. And if you don't know the Workmans, come on out and just hang out with a bunch of awesome people from the Haven Church. We'd love to have you, and we don't want the pizza uh, to go to, to waste. So make sure that you're there. Um, and so uh, I'm going to call up Joe. And the last thing I'm gonna say about Joe is uh, I'll just share the memory I had with him uh, just this morning. So I, I talked to Joe for about 10 minutes before kind of the service starts. And what you need to know about Joe is this is a man who just genuinely loves the Lord with like all of his heart. Like you just get around him. And if you're kind of like, you know, lukewarm or weary, you just get close to Joe and all of a sudden it's like boost, man. You get like a, a boost. And so I was talking to Joe before the service and he's like, yo, dude, you won't believe it. So we, the MAPS Global does this first Friday prayer and worship night. You know, we have a prayer and worship night. goes from, you know, six to eight p.m. Their prayer and worship night, Joe, Joe and Abby, they stayed up from 7 p.m. to take a guess to how long they were, they were praying and interceding and praising the Lord. 7 a.m. Yes, 12 hours just rumbling, rumbling. I don't know how he's still standing here, uh, but he's feeling espresso, he said, espresso and the Holy Spirit. So uh, with that said, please join me in, in praying uh, for Joe and then I will stop talking and Joe will uh, lead us in exaltation of Jesus. All right, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Joe and Abby and the Workman family. I thank you so much for the work that you're doing through them and through Maps Global, Lord God. I thank you um, Lord, just for uh, a family that it's just, it's just lay, laid it all down at your feet. When you called them to move and to sell their house and to go to a city where they didn't know too many folks, they did it, God, in obedience to you. And it's amazing to see how you've honored that and, and everything you've done and everything you are going continue to do. So we are so blessed by this morning. We've been so blessed as a church family uh, by their faithful uh, strengthening and foundationing of our church for almost a decade uh, before you called them to Richmond, Lord God. So this is just such a a fun morning, a great morning, God, a family reunion of sorts, Lord God. So I just pray your blessing over Joe. Would you fill him, Holy Spirit, with, with your thoughts and your word and your heart, Lord God. And, and we, we thank you uh, for his service to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. Love you, man.
0: Dude. Woo. Wow. Is this, I think I'm on? Tell me. Jonathan, am I good? Well, yeah, we have a saying at MAPS Global. It goes like this, we get to do this. That's just one of our mantras, and so I can't believe that I get to be here with you all this morning. Uh, a lot of f- new faces, but also a lot of family and friends, and so Nick, just thanks for that warm welcome. Uh, you guys are such a blessing, I know, uh, and um, so yeah, I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, it was a good long weekend so far, and uh, we did we did a, um, one of the things we're, we do in Richmond. I'll just give you a little bit of snapshot of where, we, where we're at currently. Um, we're part of an organization called Maps Global. And uh, it's a missions organization that focuses on mainly sending laborers to unreached people groups across the Middle East. We have three current bases that operate in Eurasia, uh, the Levant, and in uh, the Middle East. And we're going to be planting four new bases over the next four years. Each of these bases consists of a church. I'll say it like that uh, because the church is called to be a praying center, right? Would you all agree with me on that one? Yeah, we pray, right? Uh, So MAPS Global, we pray. In Richmond, we have a prayer room that's open 8 to 8, and so we extended the hours on Friday night so that we could give Jesus just fragrance through the night. Uh, We believe that that's part of what goes on in heaven. In heaven, uh, you look at Revelation chapter 4, the elders, the angels, they never stop worshiping. They never stop bringing incense before the king, and uh, so we want to replicate some of that here on earth, right? As on earth, as in heaven, right? The Lord's Prayer. We want to see that happen, and so uh, it's a praying center, it's a training center, right? You all do that here. You have community groups, you have a number of training mechanisms. So we as an organization, we train for locally, neighborhoods, and then we train for nations. And so we send students, right now we, are, uh, we just launched and prayed for it. Monday, they'll fly out to uh, one of our bases in Eurasia. And we have nine students that just went through a six-month training program. They'll be on the field for 90 days, getting their first taste of laboring and serving and praying and training and evangelizing in an unreached nation, this nation that they're going to go to has about seven to 10,000 Christians, maybe, and it's 83 million people. That means less than 1% has access to the gospel. There are people groups within this nation that have actually never had access to the gospel, and so that's our heart is to go places where it's the hardest, the darkest, and I'll be talking about that a little bit in this morning about how that heart for the nations, heart for peoples that you don't even know is formed, how Jesus carries his heart and how he imparts that heart to us, and so we've been... Uh, privilege that Jesus would call us. He called me. Uh, He gave uh, Pastor Nick, he gave Jen a couple of encouraging uh, promptings from the Lord, and uh, they shared dreams with us. They shared words from from, from Scripture to us, and the Lord began to speak to me through Matthew 4, verse 22. And if you don't know that verse, I'm just going to share it with you real quick. Um, Jesus, right before he goes to Sermon on the Mount to teach us that lifestyle that we live in a community of believers, he goes and he's been walking by the sea probably for some time now, and he's been seeing these guys out in the waters doing what? Fishing, right? So some fishermen, they've been out there, and so he calls Peter and Andrew, they respond, he says to follow me, and then he calls James and John, and in verse 22, it says, after his call to James and John, follow me, it says immediately they got out of the boat's, and they followed Jesus, and the boat for them represented their livelihood. It was their source of income. It represented their father's name because they left their father, Zebedee. Um, As a a Jewish man, you would live under your father's house, and you would help make his house successful, right? It's a a system that's been around since Abraham, right? You would stay, and so Abraham was called to get out of his father's house, right, and go, and and Lord began to form his whole redemptive storyline through Abraham's life, right? So James and John they're stepping out of their financial security, right? In the water, they're, they're comfortable with this. They're comfortable with mending their nets. They're comfortable with catching fish and selling them. They're very, they're living a, You know, they're living their life, right? And they step out of what's secure and what they know into something that they don't know because Jesus is going to form and fashion them to be fishers of men. And so that's the journey we've been on, um, of stepping out of the boat. And so now, uh, instead of selling copiers and printers for a living, which I did for the last 11 years, um, and the Lord really graced us. I was very successful, uh, you know, top guy in our company selling copiers and printers. Who knew? It's amazing, you know? (laughs) But praise God for copiers and printers. Where did, the, uh, where did that, that newsletter go? Yeah, that newsletter, right? You need that to print that, right? So it's a very like, <laughs> everybody needs a copier and printer and they don't like it when they don't work. And so that's where I come in. So for 11 years, I was doing that. Um, and then uh, the Lord began to speak to us about getting out of the boat. And so now instead of selling copiers and printers, I'm now going out and encouraging and inviting people in to partner with us. Uh, for the advancement of the gospel upon those who don't have access. And so that looks like fundraising. We fundraise fully. Uh, It looks like uh, what the income was is not what it was Uh, because those are the sacrifices. Those are the things that you begin to count the cost. We sang it this morning about worthy... He's worthy, right? And so if you look at Revelation chapter 5, there's three refrains that the saints and angels, they all sing, and all of them have the word worthy. And so I'll talk about it a little bit this morning, but there's a, there's a point where we begin to cost, we begin to say, what is Jesus worth? What is he worth? And I'll talk about it a little bit more this morning, but um, that's the, the conversation we begin to have with the Lord. And so we determined that Jesus was worth, not that what we were doing wasn't great because it was definitely what we were supposed to be doing right? We were laboring here, we were part of this beautiful family, and it was a very hard transition for us. It took months, um, but it was, it's, it's part of the cost, right? Is, is leaving that which was comfortable, leaving you, whom we love so much. And we didn't leave, that's the beautiful thing, is we got sent. Uh, on June 19th, 2022, you all sent our family out. And so the, uh, Paul talks about it when he talks to the, the different churches that he worked with throughout the time, that the the, um, the, the reward that you will reap by sending and supporting us, there is a reward for sending, right? There's, there's the senders and then there's the goers. There's no in between. You're either sending and sending them out the door and equipping them to go or you're going either side. There is a reward that is eternal in value. And so I just want to thank you so much. There's so many of you in this room who've been partnering with us month over month. That 50 dollars a month goes a long way, that 25, that 100. And I just want to say thank you to each of you. You've been so instrumental in helping this transition happen, and you're going to reap reward forever uh, because of that. And so that's my introduction. We good? Um, So I'm so happy to be here uh, at the Haven. I've been uh, tracking with your series that Nick's been doing. This love walked among us. What a beautiful moment, right? You've you've transitioned in in name, but you're still the same body of Christ. And instead of spending all this time unpacking what that means, I love that Nick, you've taken time to really get the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. And so, uh, over the last few weeks, you've been looking at uh, that story of the Samaritan woman. We see the beauty of incarnation. We see, we learned about the heart that uh, we could never enter, when we could never enter into his world, he entered into our world, right? We could never ascend to where he was. So sacrificially, what did he do? He, in sacrifice, weary love descended to where we were. That's a beautiful, beautiful message. Uh, We look at Jesus climbing into Peter's boat, right? So before he called him to get out of the boat, he got in the boat with him, right? We see the Lord uh, getting into his boat and we see Peter's response at the miracle of the catch of fish, to depart from me, right? Depart from me, get away from me, right? And the savior goes to the sinner and he says, follow me. We see the heart of Jesus on display. Yes, he's a king, he's powerful, he's holy, yet he loves sinners like Peter, like you and me. And he comes and he moves towards us. That is the beautiful storyline of creation is that he, God, became flesh and he dwelt among us. No other God has done that. Allah doesn't do that. In Hinduism and Buddhism, no other God has done that, has made that claim that he came and dwelt among us and then he died for us. That's the differentiating factor of the powerful gospel that we carry. So this morning, um, Nick already introduced my family, so I'm going to skip over that. Um, but I want to just let you know, um, this process of transition hasn't just been me, it's been my wife. It's been uh, a unified Holy Spirit speaking to her, speaking to me. Um, the Lord actually gave my daughter a dream before we left that we were going to be moving. And after she told me the dream Saturday morning, I said, well, where do you think we're going? And my youngest son, who at the time was about four and was fascinated with roller coasters, said that we were going to move to Bush Gardens. <laughs> and he was close, okay? I mean, you know, we got to work on fine-tuning that prophetic gifting, but uh, he was close, okay, guys? He was 40 minutes away, you know, so... Um, but that's been the transition we've been in. And, uh, but I want to share, I'll share a little bit of our story, but I also want us to just recognize the moment of history that we are in so that we can understand that um, there is the, the state of missions across the world. I want to kind of give you a glimpse a little bit into world evangelization, the Great Commission. And so I just want to, uh, we read that passage this morning, right? The Great Commission. This is Jesus' commission uh, to his disciples. And so if you can just put that up one more time, I just want us to look through um, and see um, this morning that Great Commission. And then, well, uh, actually, no, we're going to go. Yeah, you got that up there? Awesome. Okay. So... Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. But when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We'll hone in on this scripture at the end, and then I want to move to a second scripture to begin to capture Jesus' heart. For the nations, and so that scripture combined with this one will be Matthew nine thirty-eight through thirty-five, and it says, "In Matthew nine thirty-eight, do you have that one, Jonathan?" Okay. Well, then I'm going to read it. Do you guys have your Bibles? Yeah. Great. You're going to need them. So, two aspects: great commission. That's where we're heading to. I want us to take a little detour on the way there, and uh, and see how we get to this place of the Lord sending out. So, Matthew chapter nine, verses thirty-five through thirty-eight. Matthew 9, turn in your Bibles, scroll on your phones, Matthew 9, and I want you to look at, you got it, oh, he's got it, I love you guys, you're amazing. Okay, so I'm just going to read, you can follow along, and Jesus went throughout all the cities, so Jesus is going throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is the word of the Lord. I love that. Thanks be to God, you know, that he gave us his word. So I want us to take a a quick snapshot here. Jesus arriving out of the wilderness. So there's this moment, right? Jesus, he goes. He gets baptized, Holy Spirit comes upon him, Holy Spirit takes him into the solitary place, the wilderness, for 40 days he fasts and then he faces his enemy, right? He overcomes temptation, he comes back in Luke chapter four, it says he was clothed in the power of the Spirit. He came, it says the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, so this is the context, right? So the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon Jesus and he's going where? It says he's going to the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the what? The gospel of the kingdom. So there's two things I want us to focus on here. There's the gospel of the kingdom, The kingdom has a king, Jesus. His subjects are in that kingdom. We are citizens now of heaven because we've been brought in through the blood of Jesus. Heaven has a territory. I'm sorry, the kingdom has a territory, right? It's heaven and it's earth. It's all of the above. It all belongs to him. He's the king over all the territory. The proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus is doing here commands us to do. It says, hey, I've got sovereign news. I've got good news, guys. That's the gospel, right? Good news. I've got good news. Right? There's a sovereign king. He died to make a way, and he's brought you into a new, live, new way of living. Right? That's the beauty of the gospel. But not only has he brought you to, into a new way of living, you need to submit now. You need to rend your garments, rend your heart. Right? Prepare for his, he's coming back. So until he comes back, we're going to labor unto his return. That's part of the gospel. The full gospel is not just, and I want, I don't want to minimize this. Forgiveness of sins is a huge part of the gospel. Would you all agree? Right? Jesus died for the forgiveness of my sins, but it doesn't end there, right? That's, I don't just get my stamp and then I'm good. I just live life how I want to live it. I just do my thing, right? That's not the full picture of the gospel. The full picture of the gospel is, yes, you're forgiven of your sins because of the finished work of Christ on the cross and he secured on the cross every promise. He secured it, but he will return and there is a following and a surrender and a Lord, right? Our father in heaven, right? That surrendering to our holy father. He's our father and yet there's a surrendering to him, a lordship. And so from the beginning, the command in the beginning was multiply, be fruitful, subdue, rule the earth, spread my kingdom that still exists, right? As, as uh, citizens in heaven, we are to spread the kingdom. And so how do we do that? Uh, we do that first by getting a hold of his heart. We've got to have his heart uh, as his people. Um, second, there's this other word in there. Did you all notice it? It showed up twice, I think. It says the word every. Did you all see that word in there? Every? This just, just bugs me a little bit. Um, every disease and every affliction, every. He did, it wasn't just like one or two things that he healed, right? And that he dealt with. It says every. Th- just, I just want us to think, it's not too long, but just take a second. What do, we tend to think, oh, how happy those people would be that were sick and ill, right? You think if you were one of those every with a disease, right? Or an affliction, you'd be happy if you got healed? Yeah, I mean, just think about Inova Hospital. I don't know how many, anybody work at Inova? You know how many patients are in there in Andia? Okay, 2,000 patients, right? Jesus walks through Inova Hospital, heals every affliction, every disease. 2,000 people now have to check out of Inova Hospital, right? There's going to be a queue, and they're going to be super happy. And then think about the disruption, though, what that's causing in the villages in the city. What about everybody that was caring for a patient? What about everybody who was getting a paycheck, right? Think about the disruption. I'm not saying this wasn't good. I'm just saying... I think we, we look at this and it troubles me because he every, every sickness, every disease, who's gonna pay their bills? See, when the kingdom of God advances, I don't think it always looks like we think it will. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Is this, when the kingdom of God is truly advancing, when Jesus is healing every sickness, every disease, we gotta come to a realization that when the kingdom of God advances, it doesn't always look like we think it will look. And so we gotta be prepared in our hearts uh, to deal with that. Um, the second thing is we look, and Jesus, it says he was moved with what? What's the word there? Y'all see that? Compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. This is where we get to Jesus' heart, right? He saw the demonic harassment and oppression over the masses. They were harassed and what? Helpless. They were harassed and helpless. He sees that they're tormented by demonic oppression, sickness, disease, depression. They're enslaved to sin. They had no ability to free themselves. That word compassion... Um, it's not just like a, a, an empathy, like a general feeling of, of um, oh, I'm sad for them. It, the, literally, the translation of that word, uh, it means for one's bowels to be twisted. Have you ever had, like, really bad stomach pain before? I, I have, okay? It's one's bowels are being twisted. The guts and intestines are being twisted. It's not just like this, this empathy that we, like, a gentle, like, kind of, oh, that's, that's sad. No, it's like Jesus was moved in his bowels. And that's where, you know, in, in that time, that was a big, that was the picture, right? The picture was being moved in their bowels. And he, he recognized, he has this compassion on them. And from this place of compassion, uh, he has a solution. And we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, it says there were also sheep like, like sheep without a shepherd. So there was many leaders in Israel. There's many leaders in Israel, but Jesus is making Uh, heaven's perspective known that he doesn't see shepherds and so you have to ask the question what is the shepherds that he's looking for there were no anointed deliverers that could pull people out of bondage to the evil one right many of the leaders in Israel they were after their own agenda they had their own followings they had their own things their own platforms that they were building on and here we see Jesus' indictment on the leaders is there's no shepherds I've got a lot of sheep they're being harassed they're being oppressed but there's no shepherds there's no people carrying my heart for people, my heart of compassion. And so, here is Jesus' solution. And he says the laborers are few. And I want us just to hone in on this word. This word few is, so in, I think in our context, our Western context, uh, ever since the invention of the clock, uh, productivity has been the thing, right? Right? Uh, when the clock was invented you began to report to work at a certain time when the bell was rung you go back and to i think it was in germany it was like when the clock was really instituted and the work bells would ring and you start work the work bells would stop and you stop work so we have this thing called time now and we almost be, have become a slave to time i mean you, you think about it right we all do everything based on time and the, time is a gift from the lord so let's just leave it at that i'm not going to dig too much into it but you see this transition from an agrarian society Right, where you could be in a field all day with silence and solitude because you didn't have your AirPods and it was just going to be quiet and you're going to be doing your work, right? to a, a, a society and a culture where we can go, honestly, without ever experiencing silence if we wanted to. Right? So there's this transition that happens. What happened also in the workspace was uh, we began to exchange um, moving into a, an era of productivity. You, you are what you produce. You are what... Uh, and so I'm getting back to, I'll connect the dot here, is that few doesn't mean just a number. So I want us to capture that. Here in the text, I really, when you look at the definition, the word is oligos in the, in the Greek. And it can mean number, but in this context, it, the, the, the definition that better fits it is this idea of puny, weak, and unformed. The image is like this. Imagine you're in a room and you pull a shade down and you have a light that's lit. But you, when you pull the shade down, if you're on the outside of the room, the, the light is dimmer. So it's punier, it's weaker, it's, it's, its effect to penetrate the outside world has been diminished. It's a weaker light. And so does that image help you capture that idea, right? It's, it's a weaker light, it's puny, it's weak. And so he's saying of the, the laborers, they're, they're weak. It's not a necessary a need for many, 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 many labors because how many laborers did Jesus send out? He sent, he, he discipled 12. He he did disciple the masses, yes. There were the 72, right? There were the 500 that he gathered. But that's still a small number of people that he discipled and poured his energy and life into. So he's looking to form laborers. And if you think about it, he called only 12. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. He used 12 disciples to turn the world upside down. Disciples that were formed under his caring and wise leadership. And it was formed in the place of beholding the son of man. And that's where I want us to get to this morning. Jesus' prescription... He wants anointed deliverers and laborers, but there's a problem um, that these laborers, they need to be formed. And so Jesus's prescription is this. He says what? He says, what? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So this is his, his solution to um, a harvest that's out there, right? Um, to sheep without a shepherd, the plentiful harvest and laborers are weak and they're puny. His, his prescription isn't, um, go do the thing, right? Get your ministry started and go do that thing. His prescription is to what? It's four letters. Pray. Pray. And what happens when we pray? Prayer is simply a conversation between us and the Father. It's just as simple as it gets. It's us talking to God. That's prayer. And so what does prayer look like? It looks like getting in that place before God where we're communing and having a conversation with God. Come get into my face and talk with me talk to me about this problem right the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are are few they're weak they're puny and i want you therefore to pray earnestly get into the place of prayer and begin to have a conversation with me that the lord would then send out laborers and i want you to consider this um corporate prayer and worshiping communities are the ones that will thrust out laborers this morning we're sending out you guys you're going out to colorado You've been formed here in the place of prayer and community, right? Would you agree with me? I can see it in your eyes. Like the Lord's been doing a work in your heart. Uh, I think you guys have been in a community group with Ruth. So it's, it's, it's amazing, right? You know people here that have forever changed the trajectory of your life. This is a praying community. I know it because I've been a part of it for 10 years. I know Nick prays. I know, Jake, they come in here and they cover you, the saints. You worship. The worship this morning was so powerful. The presence of the Lord was powerful was sweet it was a fragrance unto him and so you are this you are a community of prayer and worship that is equipping and thrusting out laborers whether it's on the military's dime or on your dime you're committed to sending laborers don't lose that i know it's hard i know it's hard to see people leave every six months to a year two years i know it because i've lived it (laughs) it's hard but don't lose the tender heart that says keep sending them lord because the Lord is sending them to you so that you can equip them, train them, and thrust them back out to the field. Part of that thrusting, the word that's used there in the text, it says that he will send laborers out to the field. It's the word ekbalo. There's three different sending words in the New Testament. There's apostolo. That's when the apostles are sent out. There's propempo, that's in John chapter 3, where the community comes around the laborers and they equip them, they give them everything they need to go do the mission. So apostolo, the apostolic sending, the propempo, the family comes around them. Like when we left in June of 19th of 2022, you guys propempoed us, you came around us. We left with everything we needed and more to be successful in the mission that God was sending on us, sending us out to. But there's this word, ekbalo. And this is the only time ekbalo is used in a positive sense. Mostly, this word ekbalo in the New Testament is used, it's only in the New Testament, is used to cast out, drive out, to send out, to expel a person even from society. Jesus uses this word every time it says that he drove out a demon. That is really intense when you think about it, right? Ekbalo isn't like, hey, I'm just going to send you out there, right? Ekbalo is the demonic is holding on to this life, thinks it has legal access. And Jesus is saying, you have to leave now. It's it's an intense word. And so you gotta ask, why is Jesus using Ekbalo to talk about sending laborers into the harvest field? Wouldn't you think? More of us would just be signed up to go and waiting. But he uses a word that is like a violent shaking, a sending out. Jesus is inviting his disciples to get into him heart about the the, the, about the harvest and he's praying that their hearts would be shaken free of anything that would keep them from saying yes and therefore ekbalo thrusting laborers out into the harvest field so just wrestle with that a little bit okay the word here is intense he's saying pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out to ekbalo to shake up laborers for his harvest field why because jesus has compassion he can see, he's twisted in his gut and he knows the solution is, is to get into the face of God. And uh, so there's three things we do when we get into the face of God and we enter into this conversation that will begin to shake us in the inside and produce a heart for nations, heart for peoples we don't even know. First is we will see his worth. See, Jesus is worthy. And at Maps Global, it's a number one why. If you ask anybody, why does Maps Global exist? It exists because Jesus is worthy worthy. Say it with me again. Jesus is worthy. It's a statement that no matter how I feel in the morning, no matter what's going on in life, circumstances are swirling, I can always count on the fact that Jesus is worthy. It's the number one why. And you look at it in Revelation, it's a huge why. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of something. And so to determine the worth of something, you've got to measure three, maybe four things about worthiness. One, it's usefulness. Two, it's how unique is it three how important is its desirability or beauty and so i just want us to think about jesus for a minute right if i'm saying jesus is worthy what's the number one thing it's his usefulness let me ask you how useful has jesus present been in your life how useful do you think and i'm not reducing jesus to uh, a tool that's not what i'm saying here what i'm saying is god's presence jesus the man who was God and became man and dwelt among us, how important has that been for your journey, him walking with you? It's, there's nothing more useful than the presence of God in our midst, Jesus Christ the man. So would you agree with me that he's worthy as it comes to an aspect of usefulness? Okay, uniqueness. Is there another man like Jesus? Is there anything, any other? Because this again, we're looking at worth of something. So we gotta measure how useful, how unique is it, right? When you're looking at that ring on my finger, if I took it in somewhere, mine isn't gold, so it's probably not as worthy or worth as much as another ring, right? But it's uniqueness. There's no other man like him. There's no other man who has eyes that are like fire. There's no other man that is rooted and grounded that will never move. There's, the worthiness of Jesus uh, is, is, is what we have to come face to face with And then it's desirability and beauty. I want us to take uh, a look at this passage, Revelation chapter four, verse nine through 11. Is that up there? And whenever the living creatures, this scene going on in heaven, okay? Just a little context. John, he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been banished and he comes, the, the Holy Spirit comes to him. Um, he invites him up. It says he went through this door and he begins to see this throne room picture of what's going on in heaven. It says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who's seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And then they begin to do what? They begin to cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist. See, in the, the throne room in heaven, they see the worthiness of Jesus. They see the worthiness of God. And they begin, holy is a statement we can say when we're saying, holy. It's other than. Holy, right? We can admire holy. Holy is kind of like, an, I can admire it, right? Holy, wow. It's other than. It's completely holy. And we can be undone like Isaiah was, right? Holy, holy, holy. They cry. But then they begin to see something even more. And the elders, they have these crowns and they're beautiful, right? Of some sort. I mean, I think of a crown, gold, maybe there's some stones in it. I don't know exactly what it's like, so I can't tell you, but my imagination, right? I can see a beautiful crown, gold. It's worth something, right? Usually a crown, in, it, 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 it implies authority. It implies somebody had to put it there, right? It's, a, it's a valuable, right? If you have a crown, it means you're a leader, you're a ruler. Like you're not wearing that crown for no reason, Right? And so they begin to take these crowns and put it before the throne and they begin to say worthy. See, holy, I can admire with holy. right? I can see the beauty. It's other than holy, holy, holy. But when the words worthy start coming out of my mouth, I begin to see the uniqueness, the beauty, the desirability of Jesus, of God on the throne. It then begins to cost me something because I have to take this crown. I don't have to. It's a choice, right? I get to take this crown and put it down. It costs me something. Holy is other than. It's a statement of an admiration. Worthy is something in my heart has shifted to a place where I see the cost of it and I'm willing to, it's gonna cost me something. Worthy is a cost statement. I think that's what I'm trying to get at here. And when we begin to see the beauty of Jesus, his desirability, his uniqueness, who he is, nothing else compares to him. We begin to move from that. Wow, you're beautiful. To okay, this is going to cost me something, and I I want I want that. His worth, Jesus' worth, is in tied is tied to his inheritance. It's what he's due. It's what he's to receive. It's his worth and his inheritance, and his inheritance is this: it's the nations of the earth. His inheritance is a, a song, a worthy statement from every tribe, tongue, people and language across the earth. And I'll share a scripture that kind of gives us, points us in that direction. But I want us to just think another minute. Pray, get into the, the face of the Lord of the harvest and encounter with the worth of Jesus. So when we begin to counter the worth of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the desirability of Jesus, the uniqueness of Jesus, that there's no one like him, it begins to violently re- rearrange our priorities. It begins to change what's going on inside of us. Because see, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, where Your treasure is, there your what? Heart is also. And so when we begin to behold, pray, get into my face, talk to me, when we begin to behold and converse with the unique, beautiful God, it begins to change what the things that our heart is tied to and it begins to shake those things loose and we begin to come in contact with Jesus's compassion for those who are harassed and helpless. The second thing we we experience as we get into his face is we experience that compassion. We're asking for unlimited capacity. He has unlimited capacity to touch our little hearts. Have you ever, guys, ever, well, I've I've been to Europe like once or twice, and you have to bring those like adapters. Anybody travel, right? You gotta gotta plug it in. Otherwise, it just like blows up, right? Uh, If you plug the wrong thing into the wrong circuit, it's gonna explode, right? And so when we're asking God for his, does does that make sense? I know I didn't like really, really flesh that out, okay? But you get the idea, right? This thing has a lot of power. This thing doesn't. I plug this thing into that thing. And in this thing, is just gonna like zap, right? Without, without, Without something like protecting it, right? That's why you plug it into the adapter, right? And so when we're asking God, when we're getting into his face and then we begin to ask God for his heart and his compassion that he carries, we're asking the unlimited capacity of God to touch a very limited capacity of us. And so I say that to encourage you to yes, ask for, his heart and compassion, but be ready to get those things violently shaken up inside you, okay? And, and then I want us to, ch- to challenge us. One thing we need to recognize is that many people across the body of Christ are asking for, pursuing, and working towards a healed heart, and that is good and right. We want hearts to be healed, right? Jesus came uh, that that would be the case. But not, I think, many of us, and this is me included, so I'm not just preaching to you this morning, okay? I think many of us are maybe not asking God for a broken heart a broken heart um, of compassion. A broken heart is one that ca- has a burden that's bigger than my current circumstances. If our hearts don't move when we hear that 50% of the earth is without a witness to the gospel, then there's a chance that our hearts haven't been touched by c- the compassion of Jesus, right? If our hearts aren't moved by that. And so I wanna just challenge us this morning and I'm challenging myself. I don't think that, la- that, that the, the, the challenge to getting to the nations and reaching on to each people groups is money because I know if 3% of every evangelical Christian being of 3% of their income, we'd have more than enough money. If just one out of every thousand youth students or uh, our or college students would say yes to the Great Commission. And by the way, a study was done in 2017 that showed among Gen Z, we have the most willing generation to go. There was a poll and they said, hey, if you could go on a missions trip, if you could go into missions, it was, I think it was like over something over 30%. Gen Z is one of the most willing generations to go. So if we've got more than enough laborers, you're saying, willing to say yes, and more than enough dollars, right, then what is the problem? Why is there still 50% of the earth that hasn't had a witness of the gospel? And Jesus is getting at it right here. It's the heart. It is the heart. The heart. Right now, love is our greatest deficit in fulfilling the assignments from heaven. And so, As we're leaning into this, the heart of Jesus, the heart of the one who walked among us, um, I wanna just encourage us. Let's ask God for a broken heart, not just a healed heart. We want our hearts to be healed. I want your heart to be healed. I want it to be whole, but I want it so that it can be broken for the nations, for those that Jesus had compassion towards. And the third thing, when we get into the face of God, right? we're seeing his worth and his beauty. Our hearts are beginning to be broken and he's violently rearranging our priorities, what's important. And third, we have to receive his anointing. Because the the last thing we see here, Matthew 10, 1, it's the verses right after Matthew 9, 38. It says, He called His disciples to them, and then He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. See, the Lord of Harvest is gathering disciples together and giving them authority. You can be sure that Jesus wants His disciples to connect this authority to the command in corporate prayer, right? So we're getting a, beholding a a glimpse of Jesus' beauty, our priorities are being violently rearranged inside. We're getting God's compassion. And then he's going to equip us to go out, right? We're weak vessels. We need his power and authority working through us. And so um, with that in, in mind, you got with me? You got that? We got that in mind? Okay. So getting into the face of God, asking him to take these puny, weak people and form them into strong laborers that are submitted to him, have, a, have a, a revelation of his beauty and are willing to go under the power of his spirit and direction. That brings us to the status of World Missions and Great Commission, okay? I'm not gonna not talk about this this morning because that is what I live and breathe. Right now, the status of World Missions and the Great Commission. A Barna research study, similar to the one I just talked to you about, uh, polling Gen Z, uh, also in 27, they reported... This is a Barna study, right? So Barna is like a, a research group. They do out and do polls. And so they do statistics, statistics to help us see where things are in the world in terms of evangelism and people's hearts towards it or people's responses towards it. A Barna research in, in 2017 reported that 82% of churchgoers either do not know what the Great Commission is or they could not explain it. 82%. You're not in that. I know that because we have a heart for the nations and a heart for the Great Commission. I literally just read it to you. But... of churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission is and they couldn't explain it. From 2010 to 2020, they've been measuring this, there's been an increase of over 450 people groups moving into the unreached status. How does that even happen, Joseph? Well, it happens that these people groups that maybe had a couple Christians, they don't have a church that's self-sustaining and self-replicating and therefore able to continue to make progress in reaching these unreached people groups. Many believers, many have no believers. It's usually less than 1%. Over that period of time, there's been a 32% decrease in missions sending. So people groups, unreached going up, decrease in missions sending. You all get in the picture? Okay, so track me. This is, this is heavy. There's, there's, there's hope. But I just want us to continue to, to wrestle to the finances of the picture. Studies also show that 15% of church resources actually leave the local church. So say the budget of the church is 100%, $100. Only 15 of those $100 go outside of the church. And of those $15, only 2% of those dollars leave the United States. It's getting smaller, right? So 15, whatever 2% of 15 is, you know, it's going out of the States. And of that 2%, only .001% of the big number one out of every, I think it was one out of every, less than one out of every hundred dollars goes to unreached peoples. So we've got 50%, 7,402 people groups, about 3 billion people that have no access or witness of the gospel, receiving a a fraction of what's actually sent out of, and this is just in North America. Like I'm I'm not, they didn't survey the whole world, but this was the financial statistics are me. Would you all agree with me? That's kind of meager. The least amount of resources going to the most need for the witness of the gospel. Can we agree? That's kind of heavy, a little bit disheartening, a little bit frustrating. But that's, that's, the, that's the picture. So I want to be just frank with you, that's where things stand in terms of world missions and evangelization, right? So we got to wrestle with the things that are real and this is, this is real. The biggest challenge, as I mentioned earlier, to the great, making the Great Commission great again, sending laborers to the field, isn't resources and I don't believe it that it's those willing to go. It's really, I'm sorry, the number of people available. It's the hardness of the heart right? We've got to get a hold, and I love, that's why I'm so glad that we're going through, that you guys are going through this series of discovering the heart of Jesus, because when our hearts begin to get softened and connected to the things that his heart is connected to, then we can respond to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, here we are, we made it, okay? Matthew 28, here's the setting, the resurrected Christ. Jesus is in the new body. He's got a glorified body, he's been walking through walls for days, right? Grilling up some fish, Apparently the new body still can eat. So I'm curious to see what that'll be like. I'm looking forward to my new body. I can't wait till I get it because this one is already feeling broken. And so would anybody agree with me on that statement? Okay, okay, y'all with me, right? So Jesus shows up in his glorified body and it's right before his ascension, right before he's gonna Superman off that hill. He's literally gonna, hey guys, I'm out. Okay, I'm gonna send Holy Spirit. He's out, he's gonna, and we know this because in Acts chapter one, right? Disciples are like, they're just standing there. Yeah. <laughs> and there's angels that are like, hey, buddy. And they're like, dude, did you see? He just flew. Where is he going, right? And Jesus is flying, right? Where does he go? Well, I'll leave that for you guys to unpack later. Just go read through Hebrews and you see where Jesus goes. So they're at this moment right before he's gonna blast off. And what happens? They see the resurrected Christ and some of them, their response is that they, they it says worship. The Greek word is Unpronounceable, but it is, is pronounceable. Prosquinio. Proskinio. They proskinio. They fall prostrate. That word for worship means they fall prostrate. They fall down when they see the resurrected king. Just like who? Like the elders. They fall down again. They see the beauty and worth of Jesus in this resurrected body, and some of them fall down. They've seen the resurrected king again. Some of them are still doubting. They're a little they're still wrestling. Some of them were hesitant, right, in this passage. But most of them fall down and they're getting in the face of God. That word proskineo, worship, is only used in the gospels. It's not used in the epistles, except for once in Romans 12, 1, where it talks about a living sacrifice of worship, present your bodies a living sacrifice of worship. And then guess where we see that word proskineo show up again? Revelation, where the elders are what? Falling down before the king of glory. And so you got to ask yourself, why does Paul not give a lot of instructions about what worship should look like on a Sunday morning? Because he knows that that is not what is important for the formation of the church. What we do see is, why is that word mentioned throughout the Gospels? It's because guess who is walking among man? The word became flesh. Jesus is walking. It's a full revelation of God the Father. It says in Hebrews that he's the exact representation of God. is walking among man, so it makes sense that people would fall down before him. Think about how many people came running and bowing before him. Even the demons, right? They're fleeing because the, the son of God, the son of man is walking among them. And so this is what happens. This is the scene. And so Jesus begins to give them a command and it's sandwiched. It's, I like sandwiches. I like, it's good for analogies. Okay, he gives them a command and it's, an, it's a hard, it's, it's not an easy command, right? This command of going, right? And making disciples of nations. It's not an easy thing to do. Would you agree with me? Is it easy to go and make disciples of nations? No, it is not. Is it easy to just go and make disciples of your own kids? No, it is not, right? It is hard. It is not easy. And so Jesus gives this example, Now, this, this, he gives this command in the midst of two things. This is two things that he says to help them. And this is what he says. He says, first, guys, I've got all authority in heaven and earth. It's, it all belongs to me. In Revelation chapter five, when John begins to weep because there's a search that made, is made. There's a search in verses one through four of John, of Revelation chapter five, John sees that they're searching. It says they're searching in the heavens. Is there a heavenly being that is awesome enough and powerful enough to take the authority, the scroll that's at the father's right hand, to take the authority? Is there anybody in heaven? And they do a search and they look. There's no, the cherubim, nope. The seraphim, nope. The angels, is there a powerful angel, powerful enough to take? No, none of them have the authority. And then they do a search on the what? Earth right? Is there a a current world leader that could do this? Is there anybody that we could give this power to, the authority to, right? It says they're doing a search, and it says they did a search under the earth. I don't even know how that works, but they did it. They searched, and I think maybe, you know, they searched through past leaders, right? Could this president have done it, or could this world leader? Maybe Alexander the great. Maybe, you know, they do the search, right? And no one can be found, and John is weeping because no one can be found. No one is worthy is the word that the text uses. No one is worthy to take the scroll, right? Nobody is worthy. And the search comes up empty. And then this is what he sees. Revelation chapter five, verses six through 10. It says, between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits God sent out into the earth, And he, this lamb slain, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. It wasn't just offered, he went up knowing he had the authority to take it. And it says when he had taken the scroll, this is the response to the authority of Jesus. The four living creatures and the 24 outers fell down before the lamb, the lamb slain. They were each holding a harp, golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they began to sing this new song. And this is the song, and it starts with What? Worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed four pe- people for who? God, from every what? Tribe, language, people, and nation and you have made them a kingdom, a priest to God and they shall reign on the earth. worthy, worthy. Because by your blood, you ransom people from every tribe, language, and tongue. Here we see, heaven's gonna look a lot different than we think. There's gonna be a lot of different languages and peoples, tribes that we've we've maybe even never heard of. But these refrains, this is the revelation. Jesus says, I have all the authority. I am the one, I'm the lamb slain and I have purchased with my blood. So I've got the authority, guys. And the second thing he says is, I am gonna be with you until the end. Is that encouraging? Do you guys like it when, you know, somebody's with you? Sometimes, like, uh, it's time for Sebastian to go get his jam on And there's moments when he's like, I don't want to do it. And then sometimes there's moments where he's like, ah, he's kind of getting this little stage where if nobody's going to go upstairs with him, he's like, ah, I'm too afraid to go do it right now. And he wants somebody to be with him. And I, there's moments where I love that. And there's moments where I'm like, just obey, you know? Um, but I, hey, how many times do we do that with Jesus? Right? We're, we're hardening our hearts and we're just looking for a reason to not do the thing he's asked us to do. And Jesus is so kind. He's so kind. He says, hey guys, this is gonna be hard. And there's gonna be moments where it doesn't make sense. But guess what? I am with you always to the end of the age. Because see, this gospel of the kingdom, Matthew twenty-four fourteen, this gospel of the kingdom, it will be proclaimed, is written in red. Matthew 24, Jesus is delivering his second longest discourse and, and in the middle of it he says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony and then the end will come see this will happen but it'll happen in the midst of challenging circumstances we look at the world today right It's war going on in israel you know we know the status now of world evangelization i brought you into that picture it's not easy think about it. it's, it's even an election year here today this year right it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy i mean i don't know about you but i mean i i moved further away from bc so um, and it's still crazy down in Richmond. Um, but this is gonna happen. This gospel will be proclaimed. It will happen. It is in red letters and it will happen. And so the comfort is, is that Jesus is with us and he has all authority. And so that, pr- that command to go and make disciples is sandwiched in between that. Y'all are tracking with me? That should give us great courage to follow Jesus in the midst of everything that's going on. When you look at the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gives 21 sides of right of when is this going to happen they're asking him these questions when's it going to happen when are you going to come when's when's the end going to happen jesus doesn't tell him when because nobody knows except for the father right but he says there's 21 signs that you can look for 19 of them are negative and two of them are positive and the one of the positives is right in the middle this gospel will be preached it will the gospel of the kingdom will be it's going to happen and that's the courage we have and so i want to come back to the end of our journey here this morning y'all with me 1104 are we still tracking good on time okay um y'all with me take a deep breath just breathe in if some of this is new for you great if it's not and this is old hat great because jesus is so good and he always has something fresh for us this morning but i want to come back to our journey of getting out of the boat following the lamb wherever he goes getting a heart for the nations getting a heart that jesus carries see i'm gonna end with this story and so we'll but give me give me some time about 10 minutes okay there's this story There was a man who approached jesus in mark 10 And he runs up to Jesus. It says he ran up to him and he knelt. He got down. He he proskinioed. Y'all with me? That word's gonna stick in your head, okay? He got down. He proskinioed before Jesus. And he says to Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. Y'all with me? God is fully God and fully man. He says, good rabbi, teacher, what shall I do to obtain eternal life? What, What do I gotta do? I wanna, I see it. I want to obtain eternal life. What, is, what do I got to do? And Jesus' response is very intent. He says, why are you calling me good? No one but God is worthy of that title. No one is worthy of being called good. And then he begins to go. He says, you know the law. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal, right? Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud on your taxes, right? Honor your father and mother. Go get those jammies on, you know? He begins to give him, list out the law. And his response is, rabbi, teacher, I've kept all these since I was a boy. I've done it. I've kept them all since I was a boy. I can't just imagine, I can. And so then Jesus looks at him and in the scripture it says he felt love for him. He felt agapeo. It's, it wasn't, it's, it's a, he felt love for him. He felt a love for this man. And he says to him, he says, you're just missing one thing then. This is it. go. Sell whatever you own, give it to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. This is the reality. You'll have riches in heaven, and then come follow of me. Come follow me. Get out of the boat. Follow me. Leave behind the income and the work and the name and the career. Eternal life is going to cost us something, and it most likely will cost us everything to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. The man he turns away sadly. So the man walks away dejected. And Jesus says to his father, and the reason why is because he was what? He was very wealthy. He's very rich. He had a lot of stuff, right? He had a lot of things that his heart was connected to. And Jesus says to his followers, he turns to his disciples, he says, how hard it is gonna be for people with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are just like, whoa. Like it says they're astounded. They're probably making that same face they did or will make when Jesus rockets into the air. But Jesus continues. He says, My friends, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel, the biggest animal known in that region around, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples are like, Well, then who can be saved? Like, who can be saved? The disciples are distressed. Jesus looks at them. This is the God man looking at them. He's bringing the kingdom, he's the ruler of the kingdom. And this is what he says. He said, humanly, it is impossible. Humanly, it's impossible. With God, everything is possible. So humanly, the heart, you can't do anything to make your own heart have that compassion that God carries and love for others. Love for God, love for others, right? Love God with all your heart, strength, soul, mind. Love others as you love yourself. You can't do it on your own, right? And that's the beauty of the gospel is that we can lean in, right? Because with God, nothing is impossible nothing is impossible. He says to Peter, Peter says, Jesus, we left it all, right? And Jesus says to them, he looks at them and he says, yes, everyone who leaves, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, fields, land, property for the sake of the good news, you're going to receive a hundredfold, he says, in this life and in the age to come. Peter's, seeing this, Jesus is saying this response, and then he says, there's a reward that outweighs everything that you see that you're holding on to. What I have for you, Jesus is saying to Peter and that his disciples can't even hold a candle of what's to come. And so this ties into my story because as Abigail and I, in 2020, we began to watch um, a documentary that MAPS put out, it's called 50 Hours, and it documented the work that God's doing in the Middle East and in, it, it tells of stories of people who are seeing visions of this man in white, and then they show up, they meet somehow, meet some of our missionaries, and then they get introduced to the gospel. They begin to follow Jesus. Uh, these are most of them are Muslim background believers, so a lot of the nations we labor in are Islamic, they're Muslim, and so if they leave their families, that means they are usually in danger. Like right now, we have a couple that are being discipled through our training programs who they can't tell their family yet because. The moment they do, they're going to be running for their life. And so we're trying to get them to a safe space. And they're trying to work up to that place where they can then begin to share the gospel. Um, but it takes, it's, it's dangerous, I think is what I'm trying to say. And uh, we watched this documentary and we were so impacted um, by the work that we were doing. But they also began to share this story of this man named Joseph. My name is Joseph. So it, it stuck out to me, okay? And uh, we see him in Acts chapter 4. Um, did you know there's a Joseph in Acts chapter 4? So turn to Acts chapter four if you want to sometime. There's a man named Joseph. We probably know him better as Barnabas, okay? Barnabas, okay, now you all know, okay, Joseph. But his, that was his nickname, guys. That was his nickname, okay? They called Barnabas, Barnabas, because that word, that means son of encouragement. He was going around and encouraging everybody. He was just like, hey man, you're doing great. Keep on going, I love you. Yeah, he was, he was, he was Barney. And so you see him at the end of Acts chapter four and we see Barney's heart. I don't know if you guys can get the, Barnabas's Barnabas' heart. We see his generosity because he sells a field that he owns and he gives it to the leaders. He gives it to the leaders. And then 10 years later, when they're looking for somebody to go to Antioch to check out, because all the disciples, they, they weren't going to the ends of the earth. So God allowed persecution to happen. And so they flee. And it says some disciples arrived in Antioch and they started a church in accident, right? It just happened. And so he says, hey, go check that out. Make sure it's legitimate. Um, and so they're like looking for somebody. Who, who wants to go to Antioch and check that out? Barnabas is sitting back there. James is kind of tapping his shoes, like, not me, I'm not going. And, you know, over here, you know, we got Peter, like, yeah, who's going to go? And so then Barnabas is in the back. He's like, hey, guys, send me, I'll go. It's, It's been about 10 years from the time, if you look at the time. And so his generosity, his heart, right, his willingness just to give in that moment, I think, is what we see helps set him up to be the one that he sends. And I bring Barnabas up because I think Barnabas is is the rich young ruler who did say yes to Jesus. Because there are those. It's a miracle with God, right? Humanly, it's impossible. But with God, it is, humanly it's impossible. With God, it's possible. And so I think Barnabas was one of those. And so that story began to touch my heart. I began to see in Barnabas, here we had a heart of a laborer who had been formed in the place of encounter with God. We see his heart, the, the, the willingness of Jesus to give and go. And so he is, his heart is, is open and willing. So we know he's a rich man because he has fields and stuff and he sells it and then all of a sudden he's going. And so that story began to really touch my heart. I began to say, Lord, okay, you, you break my heart for the nation and the things that break yours and help me lean into this. And so as I come to a conclusion this morning, did that example make sense, right? Barnabas, he, I really think he was a man who said yes to Jesus in that moment, right? What does it cost to follow you? He's willing to, to sell it all and to go follow Jesus. There, there are and those, there are those that with God, he can transform the heart of us as, I, I don't know if you all know this, but we live in America and we are on the top one, 2% of wealthy people in the world. And so I have to wrestle with that realization knowing that we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. Like there has to be a lot of God happening for hearts to say yes, to follow him wherever he wants us to go because we do have so many things tugging for our affections. And that's why Jesus' solution for a harvest, he sees harvest among those who are oppressed, who are broken, who are in their sin. He sees harvest. He doesn't see the brokenness. He sees harvest. And his subscription, his prescription is to get in my face, to talk with me about it. Let me transform and shake your heart free of those other affections. And so, in Revelation chapter three, verse seventeen, he writes this letter. Um, I love what you read this morning, Jeff, and I think that was kind of the the launching point of this series, right? Um, in Revelation chapter two to the Ephesus church. And so I want you to look at his letter to the Laodicean church. And his letter to the Laodicean church, Jesus brings a rebuke to them. He says in verse 15, he says, I know your works, they're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot, so that, but you are lukewarm. And because you're neither cold or hot, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And I think that's oftentimes where we just stop and we just focus on that. Like, oh, if I'm not hot, then if I'm not cold, if I'm lukewarm, she's gonna spew me out of my mouth. But I want you to look at this. He says to them, he says in verse 17, he says, for you say, this is the posture of the church in Laodicea. This is the posture oftentimes of my own heart. And so I just want us to connect with these words. He says, you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. That's oftentimes where we find ourselves. I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything. His rebuke to the church is, no, actually you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is the, the status of your lukewarmness. And so this is what my counsel is to you. He doesn't say this to condemn them. There's a difference between condemnation and then conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to just ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I just ask you even now, would you just convict our hearts, Lord? I ask that you would just move all condemnation out of the way and you just release true conviction on our hearts, Holy Spirit, on my own heart. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments that you might clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus's solutions are this. When we know, he knows our frame is weak. He knows, he knows. He knows the status of our heart, right? And so as I come to a close here, I just wanna say Jesus's solution is this. He says, one, it's gold refined in fire. How do we get this gold? How do we get this gold? He's going back to the Sermon on the Mount where he says, don't lay up treasures, but sell what you have and give it to the poor. Back to that story of the rich man. White linen that you might be clothed. How do we get that white linen that we might be clothed? I think sometimes it looks like us looking around to the least, the lost, and the last and seeing how we can help clothe them, selling what we have. I salve. I think this is really where I want to land this morning is I salve for our eyes to see the harvest. See, Jesus could see the harvest and then his heart was moved with compassion. When we see the beauty of Jesus, our heart begins to be moved with compassion for things for him. I salve comes over the eyes. And... This is the realization of our, of our journey. The kids and I have been reading through the story of Tori, Corrie Ten Boom. Anybody ever read the story of Corey Ten Boom? She was a Holocaust survivor. Um, her sister was killed in one of the concentration camps. Um, very powerful story. And um, she was raised in a home where her, her father really fostered a heart for people and loving God in a very simple way. There's no fireworks going on in Corey's story. She's just stories of ordinary everyday life and, um, but there's, there's hard stories there's stories of loss and so this is I'm just going to read just a couple words from her story she was talking about um, her aunt and her aunt was diagnosed with diabetes and they had this way every week that they would run some tests and figure out if she was okay well after a series of it was, it was like a year or so maybe even a little bit longer um, one morning the quarry she would run the test she'd do the science to figure out if it was good or not and the test came back and, it, and the results were not good and so she took it to the doctor. The doctor confirmed it. And so they have the news that, that her aunt is, is probably going to die in about three weeks. And so her father says, hey, we're as a family, we're going to go and we're going we're to share the news with her. And it says um, her father, they all come up the stairs. They walk up to the stairs to her room. And she's in her room. And she's been doing lots of things for the soldiers because it's wartime. She's been doing lots of things in the community to help. She's like, you know what? If I have this disease, if I have this sickness and it's incurable... I'm just going to do as much as I can till the end. I'm just going to, I'm going to run my race. I'm going to give my all. And it says um, that the father began to gently say, there is joylessly a journey which each of God's children sooner or later set out on. He's talking about the journey of death, of of going to be with God. And Jans, the aunt, must go to their father empty-handed, but you, so some must go to their father empty-handed, but you, he's talking to the aunt, he says, you'll run to him with your hands full. And, and, Tanta Anna, which is aunt, her, her sister, begins to say, all your clubs that you started, all the, the fun things you did to help people connect. Mama, her sister, says, your writings, all the writings, all the letters, all the encouragement, all the things that you were doing, you'll go with those things. Betsy begins to go, the funds you've raised, all those funds you raised to help support others, right? That there were less advantage than yourself. All of your talks, they begin to tell her, hey, here's all the things that you're gonna take with you. When you go to be with God. And then Corey writes, but our well-meant words were useless. In front of us, the proud face crumpled. Taunty Jan put her hands over her eyes. She began to cry, empty, empty. She choked through her last tears. How can we bring anything to God? What does he care for our little tricks and trinkets? And then she prays. She says, Jesus, I thank you that we must come with empty hands. I thank you that you've done it all on the cross and that all we need in life or death is to be sure of this, that you've done it on the cross. And I think that's just the posture I wanna encourage us in this morning. I know it's not like the lightest word you've probably heard in a while, but I think it really is the heart of God that we need to see who we are truly, that we bring nothing to him except for the cross. And we didn't, we didn't do that. He did that for us. And, uh, and that's Jesus' heart, I believe for the nations. And so the invitation is here in Revelation 17. It says, Christ is knocking. He says, I knock at the door and I will come in and eat with him, whoever responds to me. And so that's the invitation I think this morning is for us to just do that work of, Holy Spirit, would you help me to receive you, to give me eyes for the harvest, eyes for the nations? Because God's heart for the nations doesn't operate independent of a people who are willing to go. And so this morning, I just wanna pray two things for us and then I can turn it over to you, Nick. Is that all right? Um, One, I wanna just invite you to ask the Lord for eye salve to touch the eyes. Um, I think sometimes our eyes get cloudy with all the things we're focused on. I know it because my own heart needs that, my own eyes need that eye salve. But to really see the things that Jesus sees and says are important because the eye is the lamp of the body, right? And if the eye is good, if the eye is generous is the translation of that word, then the body will be good and full of light. And if the eye is bad or the word literally is uh, translated generous, then the the whole body will be filled with darkness, right? And darkness can't dwell with the light. So we need eye salve to touch our eyes. And Paul gives us a great prayer. And I'm gonna pray it over us this morning. And the second thing that I really uh, felt like the Holy Spirit was highlighting as I was praying and preparing is oftentimes um, our hearts can be stopped from unbelief. And I just want us to ask the Holy Spirit to to just deliver us from any unbelief that we might have. Like, Jesus is, he's gonna do this. He's gonna do the work in the nations. He's gonna do the work among us in our own hearts. And sometimes it's hard to even believe that God could transform our own hearts, right? And so we really need uh, God's help um, to to be delivered from unbelief. So I'm just gonna pray over those two things. Is that all right, Nick? I just pray for us this morning. So if any of those things resonate with you, if anything I talked about this morning, um, just you know, put your hands before the Lord and uh, I'm just gonna pray for us and then I'm gonna turn over to Nick and I think he's gonna lead us through some communion. Um, but Lord, I just asked this morning and I'm including myself in this prayer. Um, Lord, would you give me eye salve? Um, would you let, Lord, your ointment touch my eyes and uh, clear up anything uh, that's, that's cloudy? God, would you deliver my heart from unbelief? Would you release faith this morning in our hearts? God, I ask for faith that would touch our hearts, God, that allow us to um, move from a place of, of maybe just not even caring. I know sometimes in my own heart, God, I could be in a place of, of numbness or even apathy or just there's too many things going on. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would deliver our hearts from, from being um, apathetic, God, from not believing that you wanna do these things, that you can do these things, that you are doing these things. And, uh, and Lord, I just pray Ephesians 1, 17 this morning over this family um i thank you for haven i think you've called this to be a place a haven for many and uh and lord i just thank you for the haven's faithfulness to seek first your kingdom and uh and lord i pray that that this i pray this this morning god god would you enlighten the eyes of our heart to know the hope of christ jesus Jesus, would you enlighten the eyes of our heart to know the riches of your inheritance in the saints, including those who have not yet heard. And God, would you enlighten our hearts to know the immeasurable power towards us who believe the working of your great might. God, would you open up our hearts' eyes to see the hope of our assignments and callings from you, to see, Lord, your inheritance in us and in the nations. God, would you open up the eyes of our hearts to see the power uh, that you offer And uh, so Lord, I just thank you for your goodness this morning.